live. Good evening. We're both trying out new intros, clearly. We are. It's great to be with you today, Chandler, tonight. It's great to be with you as well, Lauren. Thank you. You know, listeners of this podcast, we have to tell you, we recorded our Patreon episode yesterday. Mm-hmm. And we recorded for so long. Um, it was probably an hour and a half. And we just didn't have the energy to proceed and record our regular episode because we tried to record them both back to back. So we decided, let's sleep on it. Let's Mm -hmm. rejuvenate. Let's get all of our brain juices flowing once more. Um, Let's make our brains moist for the listeners. Once again, disgusting. (laughs) And we're back. And I do feel like we are rejuvenated and we are refreshed and we are ready to dive in. There was actually one word I was going to use to describe you just now, and it was rejuvenated. So thank you, perfect. thank you. Um, well, it, it certainly feels better than how we felt at the end of recording our Patreon episode, which yeah. was utterly exhausted. Utterly exhausting. There was something about recording on a Sunday. I don't know. I took it out of me, Lauren, and I'm just glad to see that we've made it back again. Do you want to know the real reason why I was so tired? Why were you so tired? I watched all of the all of the shows that we recapped twice. I watched them once because, and I just wanted to watch them and enjoy them and not worry right. about taking notes. But then I was not prepared, so I watched them all over again. Oh my again. gosh. You I watched know. Real House like Orange County even twice? Yes, I watched Guys, it all twice. Lauren, you have a supreme level of dedication to this podcast. I want you to know that I had the exact same plan in mind i was going to watch at least i was going to watch real housewives of salt lake city twice to prepare incredible notes and i'm going to say that i watched it once loved it and then thought i'm going to watch this again before sunday i didn't i mean you i read have a- i read a vulture article instead about it and i called it good <laughs> i wouldn't say that i have a supreme level of dedication you just have a nine to five job and i do not yeah well you know ball and chain by the way, everyone is very – not everyone, but we've had a few people um, DM and be like, I want to know what Lauren's secret project is, what she's working on. Yeah. I mean, Lauren is working on Project Warp Speed. <laughs> and that, that is actually – I'm going to come clean to the listeners. So I just announced um, in partnership with my partner, Pfizer, that what I've been working on has finally come to fruition. 95% and- effective. Yeah, we have a we we are so excited to announce that our vaccine is very effective. They 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 reached out. They heard mm-hmm. that I was an excellent project manager that liked to work soft at my mm-hmm. previous job, but yeah. pretend to be working hard. And they're like, "You're exactly the woman we want for the team." <laughs> project warp speed is in need of a project manager who work works soft, who doesn't really like you know a full workday. Prefers like an eleven to three situation, mm-hmm. a two and a half day work week. And three hours at that a day when she is working. I just think it's a testament to how successful working soft is. Congratulations, Lauren. I'm literally saving the human race from (laughs) a pandemic in the 21st century. So you're welcome, people. I cannot wait for your speaking tour about working soft when the virus is eradicated because of your team. I couldn't talk about my job and what I was working on before because, first of all, it was classified information. For sure. And second of all, we didn't want to get people's hopes up because it just would impact the stock market too much yeah. if I talked about Project Warp Speed on the podcast. So I mean, yeah, it wouldn't be the first time that our podcast has led to serious world market decline or upticks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We have huge influence. <laughs> 
And I'm just happy to finally be able to talk about this freely. Just what I've been working furiously on. I mean, yeah, it's actually just made me look stupid this whole time with my nine to five. I mean, imagine telling Anthony Fauci that you can't work the next day because you have to watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City twice. Okay. And that was an awkward scene. Let me tell you. Right. Yeah. It's I'm like, sure he took it listen, well, Tony, we got the vaccine. Okay. <laughs> gotta go watch Meredith, Marks, and Brooks and hike up a hill in Salt Lake. Okay. Bye. I think we can call it. Okay. Self care. Deborah Burks, we have solved the crisis in our hospitals nationwide. <laughs> There's another crisis brewing called This Smells Like Hospital. <laughs> and I actually need to go investigate and report on that on my Patreon. Are you a subscriber? We need boots on the ground, Deborah. Gosh, it's just like people People think like, what does she do all day? And it's like, oh, I cure COVID, okay? I mean, I, I could always tell that there was some sort of pathogen or antibody murmurings going on whenever I came over. I'm just so glad you have to tell your truth now. Yeah, groundbreaking research is happening. It's like money. Okay, anyway, we digress. All right, we really, we really leaned into that one. <laughs> yeah, we sure did. All right, so let's pick up, though, on what people want to hear about. Yeah. Chan, we got a big response to your BYU theft story. Your, I mean, our, our BYU theft story. It is our BYU theft story, Lauren. I did close the deal, but you certainly opened up the possibilities to me. I'm sorry, but I actually never executed any of these, mm-hmm. the, any, any of this stealing from BYU lost and found. I just simply implied that it was a possibility. That's exactly what I just said. It was, <laughs> it, I, I just tested you. I actually was just wondering, like, is oh, she morally bankrupt? Or is she getting into the celestial kingdom? <laughs> that was my question. Uh, um, I guess we figured nope. that one out. Sure did. All right. Well, fine. If you're going to recuse yourself from that story, fine. Fair enough. I do really want not to. a ride or die. I do really want to come clean though, because I did steal something regularly in college, and I'm going to come clean to our listeners about this. Okay. You ready? All right. Let's hear it. <laughs> so when I was in college. I would say until I was 25, 26, I went on a lot of diets, like a lot of different diets. I, I was probably on a, I mean, can you attest to this? I think you, you and I, you made me go raw with you when I was like in eighth <laughs> like grade and you were like, time. yeah, and you were in high school and like, I just remember we made like raw sushi and I was like, yeah, this is delicious. And it was we just made like, raw cereal. Remember that? No, no. Wait, what was raw cereal? Not sushi. I don't, we never made sushi. We made, we made no, raw yes, we did. Not with actual sushi, like, fish. We, oh. made, we did it with, like, vegetables and soy sauce. And I was like, this is delicious. It's so filling. <laughs> it's like a total lie. Yeah, yeah, I remember your diets, Lauren. I didn't really chill out on dieting, I would say, until my late 20s. But anyway, especially my early 20s, I went on a million different diets. And I remember there's one diet that I went on where I tried to eat um, – nine pounds of vegetables or maybe it's three pounds of vegetables I'm pretty it was one of the two but anyway it was so many pounds of vegetables oh. every day I watched this one video from this doctor from Iowa from the U- University of Iowa who had cured her multiple sclerosis uh-huh. and so anyway I was convinced that the way to everlasting health was through diet and right. I was going Food to is live medicine. Like- Hippocrates was really my my spirit animal at that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Philosophy so 101. I see you. <laughs> yes. And anyway, so through being on all these very restrictive diets, eating a pound of spinach when I woke up, etc., I um 
I I would also be very, very, very tempted by foods that were not on my not Wait, on my list of foods I could eat. You're telling me nine pounds of vegetables every day didn't totally satisfy you? <laughs> uh, no. Even though it would made, made me so bloated and my stomach so oh, distended. I thought you were so farty too. Exactly. Horrible. Horrible. So anyway, I felt so deprived and so restricted. And so let me just tell you that every night when I went to sleep, I would wake up on the dot at midnight. And it was like I had trained myself, like I was Pavlov's dog or whatever <laughs> that, whatever that famous psychological experiment that I can't really recall right. is. Anyway, I would wake up and I would tiptoe into the kitchen and I would look around furtively to make sure no one was still awake. <laughs> and then I would walk to the cupboard in the dark and I would open my roommate's cupboard and I would pull down from the shelf her Oreos. Oh my god! Every night I would have how many? One double stuffed Oreo, just one, just, just one. Because like, oh, she couldn't notice. That's almost more heinous. Just one. I would have one of her double stuffed Oreos, and <gasps> I would like I would literally feel the cookie between my lips <gasps> and the cream on my tongue. This was some of the most sensual moments of my life. I'm serious. Okay? I'm like, forget all the Salt Lake guys. For for me, if it happened between the hours of 11 p.m. and if it happened like basically in sleep, it didn't happen. And I would every night have one of her Oreos. And this went on for probably a solid four months, okay? And it, and it really did. My body would wake up like jonesing for this little treat because I'd train oh myself. Oh, my gosh. You're honestly such a psychopath. I know. Well... So then one day she pulls out her Oreos and she's eating, you know, a few Oreos. And I say, Mary, I have to tell you something. And I go, I'm really sorry, but I, and I brought home like four bags of Oreos because I went to the store and like, I was like coming clean. I was like, I was like someone in AA, like repenting, (sighs) making amends for everything she'd done wrong. Restitution. Mary, I have to tell you this, and this is a gift for you. I'm so sorry, but every night I've eaten one of your Oreos for the past, like, six months. (laughs) She was like, it was you? She was like, I count. My Oreos are always in threes in in the rows, and it's been driving me crazy. And she fully has had been, like, totally baffled by what was going on with her Oreo algorithm or Oreo arrangement. Mary sounds a little OCD to me. Yeah, she was actually a very, very fun, funny roommate, but it just was hilarious. And I remember I once told this story, like I thought it was so funny to some friends at a dinner. And one of the guys looked at me like I was in actual murder. And he was like, you're one of those roommates yeah honestly and he had like he had like ptsd from one of his roommates who like would always eat his food yeah so anyway i am a monster you are a monster i'm glad you've come clean but i'm sorry no amount of of you know boxes of oreos are going to save you from this one i think it's so shameful i think it's so pitiful and poor mary you made her you probably induced some sort of mental illness with that with that sort of behavior so i just hope she's okay now Okay, well, actually, it's not poor Mary because Mary, Mary was a chemical engineering major, and she would always take it on her upon herself. She would always take it upon herself to tell me that upon graduation, she would have 
job offers of 80000 at least starting. Hmm. And she would always go, yeah, you know, female engineering majors, they're very rare and they get job offers like nothing. Like it's so they they just they make so much money quickly. And then she would always look at me and say, what what's the going rate for a philosophy major? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually amazing. And I'm st- I stand Mary. I love that. I love and that I- point of dick. I was always like, Mary, you know that I'm going to be a poet, like a professional poet. That's my right. path. What's, what's the going right for those, though, too? <laughs> Remind me. I mean, the dark reality is that in college, I was so incredibly naive. I, I thought I would never actually work in business. And I remember many people questioning my life plan. And I would just always tell them, I'm sorry, but money is inevitable. Making art, <laughs> that is life struggle. That is your greatest challenge oh, in life. Oh, my gosh. Money is inevitable. The privilege. The the sheer privilege. Well, and then the second, you know, like daddy's funds dry up, suddenly that like $600 a month little stipend I was getting dried up, suddenly all I cared about was that, that silver dollar coin. It's like less inevitable than you'd think. <laughs> the, ver- the verse went out the window and suddenly <laughs> there were dollar signs in my eyes. The verse went out the window. <laughs> I have to honestly say, I think that's what I, what I will do differently than what my parents did is I will get my kids off the dole as soon as possible. Cause even for like, like 500 bucks. A, I, well, I mean, I was off the dole earlier than you were. So I actually, I, got a, I feel like they did it. I, it, it happened perfectly for me. I, st- well, I was you, broke truly and like most of college. Yeah. But the difference is, is that you graduated way earlier than me. I graduated from college at 25 and you graduated at 22. So right. you got off and and the dole ended when you graduated. And our no, parents the dole, would always... But like, I mean, I guess dad paid my tuition, but like I wasn't getting a stipend from from mom or dad. I mean, it, uh, it, like it the just, last two years of college. It's basically the same. I didn't, dad stopped paying my tuition, but he would give me a $600 a month stipend. It's insane. Anyway, the dole stopped the second I graduated, and that's when that's, that's when, when I became a, in, that's know? when I became a woman of economy. That's when you're like you just kind of get to a place where you're like, you know what? I can accept that the closest I'm going to come to art is like the movies on Friday, and I'm good with that. It's totally fine. So the problem is, is when you have all of your basic needs met, you can suddenly focus on that top tier of like self actualization. Mm-hmm. And that actually just makes you an insufferable person. Like the worst. That that no one wants to be around. Nobody actually wants to be around. You know, and also your stipend, now that I think about it, if you are also having to pay your own tuition from that, I mean, you also got like grants, I feel like, because, you know. uh, Yeah, because I was 24. Yeah, you were were getting grants, which were, which I got Pell grants. But still, that wasn't like, it still wasn't totally enough to um, cover like rent and stuff. I mean, okay, if we're really going to just throw it on the table. I will say I never took out any loans and I worked mm. to pay. So I never was in any debt for school. Yeah. So I always worked during college. Um, I worked whereas, and I had to take out loans. <laughs> so Chandler financed her ritzy lifestyle through okay. you know, industry yeah. and. I mean, I went on a gorgeous study abroad that I wouldn't take back for the world. Yeah, no, totally. But I, I was very debt averse. Um Anyway. Okay. I guess I wasn't as debt averse as you were. <laughs> now I think like that was actually stupid. Like. To me, when I was that age and I made so little money, 10 grand was so much money. But now I realize that to have one of those experiences at that age and time in my life, it's totally yeah. worth it. And right. it was actually it was actually short-sighted. And, and, and this is what I – oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to – and for the record, my study abroad 
was a part of like my my graduation curriculum so it wasn't just like I decided to like you know go frolic around London for six months like it was truly like I was in a I was in what we called the creative track and everyone in the creative track went on a advertising study abroad so it was different okay it was justified yeah um I so you had to go basically I had to go if I wanted to like be up to speed in my program yeah I mean I think I think you prioritize what should be prioritized and it, it all worked out swimmingly. Um, but anyway, I, 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 it's just funny to look back because yeah. the things I cared about and I took so seriously, I could not give less, I could not give less of an SHIT about. So. I mean, yeah, it's funny. I, I feel like in school, I feel a similar way. Like I cared a lot about advertising and now I care a lot less about advertising. <laughs> Wait, what's so funny is we were just at a family get-together, and my aunt – this is the reason why I just spelled out a cuss word, you guys, because my mom was bemoaning the fact that we – she says, I swear like a sailor on our podcast, and that's why she cannot listen to it. not true. She's gaslighting you, Lauren. Totally gaslighting me. And my aunt aunt was just laughing, though, and she was like, yeah, like, you know – she ends up she she goes on a date and wakes up in a stranger's bed like she totally had like like my amazing aunt who's so funny and is very like secular and cool but still like I probably never would have shared that tale with her <laughs> suddenly she knows like all the sordid details of my dating life and that is probably one of the unintended consequences of this podcast it's just like we have family members listening now like our sweet nieces and nephews listening um so anyway and they're hearing all of our evacuation stories yeah, many of our sweet aunts, sweet cousins. I just want to say, for, for the record, I'm sorry for all the shame that I'm bringing to the Bledsoe and Thompson family name. Um, I don't plan on stopping, but I am sorry. We're the Mulans of our family, bringing shame to our family name. <laughs> Honestly, and there's no plan for redemption or honor. No, we're not going. We're not going to be good geishas and bring stunning honor to our family name no. unfortunately Ugh. okay chan can we discuss can we get into family holiday drama i mean it's about i've been home for approximately three days and i've already gotten into three fights okay you guys we are dealing with um i would say a clash of worldviews and perspectives mm-hmm. Chandler and I, we at the beginning of this podcast, we said we would not talk about politics. We would keep politics out of it. Right. And that is still our mantra, but we've revealed ourselves as I'm a firm centrist and Chandler, I would say, is center left. Yeah, I would say left of center, but not a crazy leftist. Yeah, not too far. Anyway, um, we both voted for Biden. This makes us... Uh, literally idiots to our parents yeah like extreme Um, brainwashed liberals who have succumbed to the noise of gavin newsom exactly and so you know i'm on twitter i'm on instagram i'm following (laughs) certain people and i'm seeing covid rates spiking yeah I'm seeing heads of hospitals saying we have no more beds. I'm seeing health experts warning the public, okay? And I'm just thinking, well, we live in Southern California. You know, the coldest it gets on a sunny day is 65 at this time of year. Right. Our parents have a beautiful backyard. Right. There's no reason why we can't have Thanksgiving outside. Usually it's held at 3 o'clock in the afternoon anyway. Right when the sun is shining. Right when the sun is shining on our parents' home. And so anyway, Chandler, do you want to, why don't you continue? So um, the potential strategy of eating outside was brought up um, in a very innocuous 
just like let's throw it out there and see what people say it was thrown out to the person hosting thanksgiving she will remain nameless but she is uh the person who gave birth to both of us um and this has literally turned into full-blown thanksgiving gate gavin newsom gate absolutely this this turned into basically warfare with our mother yeah I'm just going to out her as the person hosting (laughs) Thanksgiving. Okay. So Chandler, Chandler asked our mom if we could have it inside. And what did she tell you? She said, Gavin Newsom will not dictate my Thanksgiving. (laughs) Not only that, she's like purposefully having it inside as an F you. To to, Gavin Newsom. To Gavin Newsom. Yeah. (laughs) Who for the record is pretty hot. Of course. Totally. And so I... Um, so that's we not the reason why this. I hate his advice, but that is just an aside that is worth mentioning because we are connoisseurs of male beauty on this podcast. We are, yes, we have high tolerances for objectifying males. Anyway, um, Chandler, we talked about this Thanksgiving plan, and it wasn't like we really talked about that in depth. You just said mom was planning on holding it inside and wouldn't yeah. hold it outside, and I just said I just brought it up thinking maybe we could just like move it outside and it would be no big deal. I said, maybe we could have it earlier in the afternoon to make sure it's not, you know, cold, but like, it's literally been like beach weather the past three days. Like it's been hot. It was hot today. So, so I text my mom the next morning, I'm walking on the beach trail and I'm thinking about everything that's going on as I generally do. And at that hour, and I text her and I say, Hey, can we hold Thanksgiving outside this year? Or, you know, (laughs) is there a chance that we can have it outside? And she just texts back, no. Thanksgiving is inside and it's at 5 p.m. It's too cold. It's too cold at that hour to have it outside. And then she says, and I know what you and Chandler are up to. Launching this little (laughs) – what did she say? Like launching this little plan of attack Mm -hmm, against mm -hmm. Thanksgiving and it's not going to work. And let's just say I got a lecture about the fact that Chandler and I are politicizing Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And we're basically – my mom – or. I would say that our parents are of the belief that we are libtards mm-hmm. that are launching a um, a full scale war. Right. On- we cannot wait for January twentieth. Like we have to start now. <laughs> we have to start pushing our liberal agenda. Mm-hmm. Like. We have to channel AOC and bring our liberal agenda into the hallowed Thanksgiving event. What's next? Taking Christ out of Christmas? <laughs> exactly. What's so strange? Like, literally, what's next? Teaching homosexuality to toddlers? Like, literally, our parents, they're acting like, like, we're coming from a perspective of, hey, COVID we think is real. Like, oh my gosh, call us crazy. But we think COVID is real and actually is dangerous. And we right. don't want to make the case numbers go up and possibly impact other people negatively. I mean, yeah. Also, like, I'll just say, I just, I've had like, first of all, like, I've had multiple COVID scares where I've been with someone who got tested or thought they had symptoms or whatever. And people, or and pe- a person who's had gotten COVID, who was our mother, you know, months ago. And I've had those scares and it is literally miserable. Like it's miserable because I get anxiety thinking that I put, I, you know, self-induce some symptoms um, that are psychosemantic. Like just waiting to make sure you don't have COVID is like so maddening to me that like, if I can like bring down that mental attack, I know I will have after spending time indoors with a group, big group of people, I would like to. 
Yeah. And it's just, it seems like the right thing to do. Like the right thing to do seems to be like to cancel Thanksgiving this year, TBH. And the second best thing to do is to at least have it outside at Mm -hmm. least. And it seems so reasonable, but apparently to our parents, this sounds like it's because for them, COVID is basically a hoax and it's a hoax designed to engineer the election results. And by us, you know, also trying to take away their indoor Thanksgiving, unmasked Thanksgiving, we are further, you know, just rubbing salt in the wound of the liberals taking over our great nation. Right. And we're not, it's like naughty for them. It sounds like, like they're mad at us. Like we don't have good intentions here. Like we have yeah. bad intentions by wanting exactly. to have Thanksgiving outside. Yeah. yeah. Which is actually maddening. Okay. Because there's nothing I would love more than to just have a Thanksgiving and not think about a global pandemic. Right. So <laughs> I know it's like, really backwards to me. Nothing sounds so stunning. So anyway, I'm sure that a lot of people listening are in a similar situation. There's definitely a generational clash here and like a split screen reality in the U.S. So you are not alone. Doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on. I'm sure you're dealing with relatives on the other side. And I just wish that we had better empathy for each other's worldview. Truly. And could see that it doesn't have to be, it's not political. Yeah, it's not like, I don't think that our parents, well, I mean, it does seem a little Trump's army that our parents are insisting on having COVID inside. But the fact that they think we're like, just frothing at the mouth for Newsom and just Newsom stance to the end of time, because we just don't want to have a super scare or a scare giving or even a scare. Anyway, it's just the anxiety (sighs) we're dealing with. We will get through the next two months. It will be great. We will just hold hands and sing Kumbaya together. Oh my gosh, Chandler. I have to say the one funny part about this, very briefly, Mm -hmm. Kagan's Kagan's family is completely the opposite of my family. Like for them, the holidays, they text about it a couple weeks beforehand. Who's in town? What should we do? Right? And they have a small, way smaller family than us. And so I said, well, Kagan's family... When they get together for the holidays, generally it's like, you know, he has eight people or 10 people. Yeah. We have 30. Right. Yeah. And so they can just, they should just come to our house because we have a big Thanksgiving feast. It's so fun. It's so many people. And it's just like more the merrier. And I think they would enjoy it. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we invited them for this year. And I, when I was first told Thanksgiving would be inside, we could not eat outside. I said, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm not going to come. Like, that's just not the right thing to do in a global pandemic. Like, I'll catch you guys at Thanksgiving next year. Yeah. Literally, all mom asked me was, is Kagan's family still coming? Like, all (laughs) she cared about was – because my mom likes Kagan more than me. Is Kagan going to be here? Is his family still going to be here? Because I don't actually care if you're going to be here or not. I've seen enough of you. Wait, you you sound far away. Weird. I've seen enough of you, you know? Like (laughs) – Totally. And it's just like, it's just funny. Like Kagan's family is literally so chill and casual about everything in that it extends to the holidays. And our family, it's like, we start texting about the holidays six months in advance. And we're like, okay, who's going to drop the 10 point contract about where Thanksgiving and Christmas are going to be held. Right. Who will be attending and how we will be distributing gifts. We've had an ongoing discussion about Christmas pajamas for the past three weeks that we've been debating we've been in like a serious debate over what christmas pajamas we're all gonna wear for weeks weeks people yeah so we've basically gotten to the point where we're at like you know an impasse if you will where we're just in a standoff and it's like 
uh, you know, regarding Christmas jammies, like if that's what everyone wants, then that's fine. We can just do those. Like I don't need to be the stick in the mud. Like, like I these guess are Christmas we'll, pajamas. I guess we'll do the red gingham. Although I'd really prefer the stripes. And then we have another text that's like, I'd really like us all to be in the same pattern, even the little kids. So can we find something that fits toddler through triple XL men? It's like fine. Let's just go to Joanne's and buy fabric. At this point. It's- it's only going to be cute if we can all wear the same patterns. Okay, well, why don't we all wear black? Oh, that's not Christmassy enough. It's like, <laughs> could drive a person mental. Mental. My family, honestly, when it comes to holidays, well, when it comes to holidays, it's like, it really is. It, it's like the Royals negotiating Mexit. It's like, yeah, we'll have a summit at the house and we'll all discuss this and we will have a decision within a couple days there's a lot to be ironed out (laughs) i mean we're really going hard on this but like i was talking to mom two nights ago i was like hey i'm like cooking more like i'd really like to cook some other thanksgiving dishes and just like me just literally trying to be like fun and optimistic and you know cheery around the holidays and helpful at the very least and mom's like absolutely not um, she's like, I don't want any messes in the kitchen prior. I yep, don't want to deal yep. with it. Let's just like get, buy whatever we can. Um, like it was, uh, yeah. like, I was immediately shut down for wanting to like experiment with a new recipe. Our, our home is not like the fam- the family stone where it's like, oh, this new person, they're going to bring a recipe from their household tradition and they're going to make it the mm-hmm. day of in the kitchen. Can, is one of the ovens available? Um, no. no, it's not Jan. Okay. That <laughs> oven has been pre-planned. What would be in it at every hour leading up to the 12 days before Thanksgiving. Okay. Excuse me. Can you actually not be in the kitchen the 24 hours before the holiday? I mean, Thank you. We're going to have the cleaners coming <laughs> to have it pristine and perfect. Nobody go downstairs. The kitchen is now closed for the next seven days on. <laughs> you would think Mrs. Padmore was orchestrating like the Royal Thanksgiving. That is the level of just organization and execution that goes down. And you honestly, you can't question it. You just, no, you you just got to go with it. As kids, obviously we have five siblings. So we thought it would be much more efficient and way better if we could do one gift. We could do a sibling lottery mm-hmm. and each person get, only gives one sibling a gift and they spend a hundred, two hundred dollars So it's a nice gift, something that they actually want instead of buying everyone a 20 <laughs> to $50 trinket. Right, kit. right. Oh, this took, I would say a decade to get, yeah. to get past the committee of Christmas the approval. The amount of red tape, red and green tape, if you will. <laughs> there was so much bureaucracy to get through. Like Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell could never get this deal signed. Like Nancy Pelosi is shaking trying to get like a Christmas, just one gift per sibling down, like passed through Congress. Are you the Congress of Bledsoe family Christmas? Our mother, we had to become full-fledged adults. Uh-huh. And Courtney had to have children that she could threaten basically that they would not <laughs> their grandparents she had to have the ultimate leverage for our mother to stand down on this one issue (laughs) the best part is that lauren and i then proceeded to have each other for like approximately the past five years and then we've just both agreed to not give each other (laughs) i'd rather spend that money on myself so we're both just gonna have a nice card and call it a day one of my favorite workarounds when it comes to uh, Christmas that Courtney and I pulled on each other, I think at least one, maybe two Christmases, <laughs> is we would get each other gift cards to Nordstrom, 
But psych, those were just empty gift cards. They didn't actually have anything on them. We would just agree beforehand. Oh my gosh, $75 to Nordstrom? Oh my gosh, so much. $800 to Nordstrom? (laughs) Sister, oh my gosh. This is so generous. It's hilarious because these deals also go down like three days before Christmas because we haven't gotten each other anything. And so it's like, Courtney would like pull me into a room and be like, hey, can we just actually like call your debt like square? (laughs) We'll call that Christmas for you. These deals would go down like cloaked at 2 (laughs) a.m. while our mother was fast asleep. Like, hey, okay, actually, why don't we just go to Nordstrom Mission Viejo? We will just get some empty gift cards. We'll exchange them. And I remember doing this fully doing this and feeling so guilty like if mom ever find out found out we would just be like she would be so disappointed in us i mean it's honestly so sad because mom is also the type like she will never admit that santa is not real like to her adult children like never santa is real and like she takes christmas she makes christmas truly magical like 100 percent incredibly magical beyond, like beyond beyond belief i've i've truly never seen or heard of a christmas that rivals hers and like the whole month long donny osmond is playing like it's amazing the way that she like goes hard for the month of december and november um and so to see how far her children have fallen in this regard is just really very depressing i mean i would say it's all a matter of like coins in the coffers like if you have the money to do a fabulous thanksgiving or christmas for your loved ones you do that but you know just as it happens chandler's already chandler have already spent all of our money on ourselves before the holidays come around so it puts us in a pickle okay i just love the fact that courtney would just like forgive my debt or a portion of my debt Totally. That's your that's your Christmas present. I honestly, I'm just going to call you out right now. I love that you uh, honestly make very good money and you still are in debt to Courtney. Oh, to yeah. I actually was just thinking, like, literally as you were talking, I was like, I need to check on our debt because I could see her pulling that same shiz this year and I would like actually a real gift. So I need like, to just I th- pay her down. I think you could make $2 million a year and still be like, oh, I owe Courtney a cool 600 bucks. <laughs> totally. Is, I mean, for the record, Courtney literally saves clothes for me and then she sells them to me at a discounted rate. But like, you know, they are discounted, but I wouldn't say that they're like a sister deal. It's like, you know, it's, it's no. still, it's, you know, she, if you've seen her recent uh, Courtney's Closet editions, like th- those are my prices too, folks. Okay. Those are my prices. Courtney has Courtney what she's doing right now really is her talent because yeah. Courtney has been selling us stuff mm-hmm. for years. Like Courtney years. has gotten me to buy stuff that is so wildly <sighs> out of my budget. And she Courtney's just the best saleswoman of clothing. I mean, she actually is passionate and loves it, but it's just hilarious. I've never I've been, been more... in debt oh, because yeah. of her. I've never been more broke than perhaps Christmas of last year. Like truly, like in debt, like and also depressed, I hated my job, like really in a bad spot. Courtney overnighted some Chanel sunglasses that I had showed her. And she was like, yeah, we got to get these. She overnights them to her house. And then somehow I get swindled into buying them. Yeah. I mean, no, honestly, she... I regret nothing though. Cause they are fantastic sunglasses. They're fantastic. I mean, I remember when I first got a salary job, Courtney was like, okay, um, so this is great. You make money now. Um, gather around the cauldron i'm going to teach you how to dress because you suddenly like have more than ten dollars to spend on clothing 
because I used to wear basically the same thing over and over again when I was, you know, right. going to eat beans and be a poet for my whole life. So anyway, once I started to make any money, Courtney was like, okay, so actually you should budget $200 for a top and like $300 for a dress. <laughs> that should be your budget. Um, you can, you can go cheap on flats. You can go relatively cheap on jeans. Yeah. But you should be buying statement tops and beautiful timeless dresses. And it's for that reason that I have an, a great wardrobe to, to this day and items that I've had for years. But And mm, a little bit of credit card debt. A little less in the savings account. <laughs> I uh, honestly, yeah. I really think Kagan is going to have to like have full oversight into my spending, into my finances because I think I'll like, it doesn't matter how much I make. I honestly think I'll just spend it all. Yeah, I always find something to buy. It's I know it's tough. hard. It's like every month I'm just like, yeah, that's a this is a need to have, not a not a want to have. This is for sure a need. Well, and like I'll always think like, oh my gosh, I'll buy this one thing, and then you know, I'll like Kagan will see me in this dress or this like top, and I'll just think, what a sophisticated woman. <laughs> like I love who I I I propose to. Like what a what a great choice. What a um, truly step above. Lauren he couldn't care less. He doesn't even like all my crap. He thinks it's all too ruffly and Kagan stupid. Would literally prefer that you went to the local Hobie store and just like <laughs> totally bought like cutoffs and like a shirt that has like I don't know like peace love of San Clemente on it. His favorite outfit is cut off shorts and a white t-shirt. That to him is like the hottest thing I could wear. I mean, it's all a hot my outfit ruff- on you. I'll I mean, all, all my roughly dresses and tops he thinks are over the top and he's like oh this would be cute if you could just cut off all the crap he's like <laughs> kelly he's like kelly dodd but instead of saying i hate all that stuff at the bottom he's like i hate all this stuff around your shoulders like, get these ruffles <laughs> off anyway okay Rough fancy is quaking doan is quaking Kagan, yeah, they are you're taking them down i still wear whatever i want and i still wear things that i think are special and distinctive and secretly I hope he really likes it, even though I think he does not. Okay, can I actually, <laughs> on the topic of Kagan, can I tell you one of his deepest insecurities that I'm excited to basically throw salt in the wound of throughout the next yes. week? Yes. Yes. Okay. Kagan Wait, is why very... the next week? Oh, you're, because you're going to Puerto Rico tomorrow. Let me just explain this to you. Kagan is very chill. He's very chill. He's mm-hmm. never expressed any jealousy to a point where mm-hmm. it's annoying. It's like, can you get a little, like, more possessive, please? That would be hot to me. He never has, except for one man on this earth that just, like, irks him, okay? There's, like, it's the only time that Kagan ever expresses what could even be close to an insecurity. Okay. Barack Obama. Stop. Every time, like, I... Uh, there maybe there's an interview like Barack Obama was on 60 Minutes recently, and I watched it. Every time there's like Obama on the <gasps> screen, he's like, "You think he's hot, don't you?" <laughs> like <laughs> he always interrogates me about the fact that I have a crush on Barack Obama, and I always am like, "No, I don't think he's hot. He's like almost 60. Ew, what are that's you talking disgusting. about? That's disgusting. I'm sorry that I respect him as a great president and great man." <laughs> And I like to learn from world <laughs> leaders. Excuse me. Meanwhile, I like turn my head. I'm like, Woo! that freaking dime piece. I would just like a little bit longer with Leslie Stahl, please. Um, <laughs> I, I really mean, do have a crush on Obama. And this is K- something Kagan understands on a psychic deep level. He but knows. I don't admit to him. I mean, I think he feels threatened by the straight up BDE that Obama has. 
I'm sorry, but there is just something undeniable. And I'm going to just also throw this out there that Obama's memoir drops. We're recording Monday night. It drops Tuesday. We're reading it. My full plan is to buy it at the airport (gasps) because I think it'll be at the bookstores and to have it with me the whole trip. And I just carry it around. It's literally your tote. Collect comments. Like, oh, still reading that book. (laughs) Still reading about your boyfriend, are you? You should just like, like, while he's like taking a shower or something, like lay on the bed and just like have your legs like (laughs) up and dangling in the air and just like, and then just like, oh, oh. (laughs) I should, I should like, I should be reading Obama's book um, in the bathtub. In the bathtub. (laughs) And like when he comes in, be like, "Oh, sorry, oh, I, I didn't realize you were here. I thought you, I thought you I thought the door a was walk. locked. I thought the door was locked." <laughs> you know what? I just might, people. Okay, I am excited for this memoir to come out, and <sighs> it's gonna be hot. It's gonna be titillating, and yes, I do find a deeply principled man who's devoted his life to public service and making the world a better a place. Man of conviction and tact and class. Yeah, and 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 utter grace and diplomacy, a decorous, stunning gentleman. Okay, so, uh, I think you're gonna have to stop. I'm gonna have to stop recording this podcast if you keep going. That I, I you know, I'm sorry, yeah. That is hot to me. Okay. I mean Gosh. I guess, like, did you see the IG video of him shooting the basketball like a few days a few weeks ago no I did not it was circulating but I should watch it I mean he just does everything yeah you should honestly have it like playing on your phone and be like oh my gosh I thought you don't know my passcode (laughs) Kagan literally has turned to me randomly out of the blue before like out of the blue this hasn't even been on like nothing's been on the radar of Obama and he's turned to me and been like you'd hook up with Obama wouldn't you like (laughs) Ask me that question, like randomly at dinner. Oh, this is so good. It's like, what are you talking about? What, what if talk- I accidentally called Kagan Barack? I mean, <laughs> oh, sorry. I mean, Kagan. He might actually divorce me before we're married if you do that. So maybe that'd be too aggro. But I do fully plan to read Obama's memoir, even if it sends my relationship through the ringer. Right. So. I think when you're writing your vows, you should say like, <laughs> dear Barack. And then, and then he should stumble upon you writing them and you should be like, I'm sorry. I just like needed some creative inspiration. And so I just decided to take a stab at trying to write them to Barack Obama and like see where that like took me. Totally. Like I just, I just never thought that I would marry a man who was born in Hawaii (laughs) and who who was raised by his grandmother. And the fact that you have been able to weather the storm of the birther, the birther, like that, that will be literally my vows. Like, and, and I'll be like, wait, wait, I'm sorry. This doesn't apply to you. What? (laughs) <laughs> the birth of a nation. <laughs> oh, oh well. man. Anyway, I love I love spousal abuse before you even spouses. That is that is really fun for me, people. Yeah. I am here for it. I think this is an is an incredible plan and strategy. And do you Thank just you. keep kicking on his toes? Oh no no no, sorry. You, I'm I was saying for some reason whatever that other book name you need to talk about the audacity of hope. You need to just like literally work like as you're looking at apartments in Puerto Rico, just be like, I mean the audacity of hope that we would be moving here. He's gonna be. He's gonna be like. Uh, I. You know. I. We love this place, but we'd love to get it for maybe twenty eight hundred a month instead of three thousand. I'll be like. I'll just look at the real estate agent. And be like the audacity of hope. Am I right? Am I right, Trinidad? That's our real estate agent's name. Am I right, Trini? <laughs> yes, we can. 
I'll be, he'll be, he'll be like, yeah, you know, my dad wants to come and visit us. And I'll be like, yeah, dreams of his father. (laughs) (laughs) The realtor's like, like, yeah, you're probably going to need like a new dishwasher or like new appliances. And then you're going to be like, change we need. (laughs) That's change we can believe in. I'll take a look at the view and I'll be like, I don't know about, I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what you think, Trini, but this place is the promised land. That's the name of the new memoir that's coming out. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to milk it for all I can. Please do. Yes, we can, baby. Okay. um, Okay. Let's proceed. Chan, have you watched The Crown, the new episode of The Crown? I have watched the first episode and a bit of the second episode. I mean, I don't think we're going to recap. I don't think that we're going to do anything but just put out a PSA that – if you're wasting your life by not watching The Crown, if you haven't watched The Crown yet, I'm sorry, abandon your children, abandon your elderly parent you're caring for. Whatever your responsibilities are, please throw them in the garbage Abscond. and go watch The Crown. Abscond. Abdicate of your responsibilities. <laughs> and watch The Crown. That is my plea. so good. And honestly, so good. we need to have Andrew Hansen, our royal correspondent, um, on the podcast. We do. Too. We do. I will say... um. I do want to put out there that I am very much a Camilla Stan. Okay. And can I tell you why? Very yeah. briefly. Yeah. I just love that Camilla was, you know, like age of this, the same age as the Prince of Wales, or I think he's the Prince of Wales. Anyway. Yeah. As, yes. yeah, he's the Prince of Wales. Um, Charles. Charles. As Charles. And, you know, she just wasn't like front at his level and she had a kind of you know she was married and whatever but he she wasn't married though when they first started no she but she was then quickly married she became married anyway and she wasn't honestly the hottest girl on the block and charles was forced to marry diana someone different he was stunning like stunning yeah forced to marry a 19 year old iconically beautiful woman yeah but charles could never get out of his heart just the like sweet earthy age-appropriate girl that I mean, he truly loved i think like, there's just clearly beautiful. a chemistry if you have chemistry with someone and then your family and like literally your birthright responsibilities make you you know have to abdicate them if you will um it's terrible it's terrible and i yeah i don't know how you ever forget that But I think that there's one thing to have an affair or to even carry on with someone like that, someone you've had a past with um, for a few years. But Charles and Camilla have gone the distance. Yeah. Like they are, they're together decades and decades later. They're the Whitney and Justins of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. No one was for their union at the beginning. And I cannot have... believe you are literally comparing Whitney and Justin <laughs> to Prince Charles and Camilla. Oh my gosh! I'm this not is actually. I'm not actually because I'm not a Whitney stan. I think she. I think that uh, the fact that she. I mean, just a little preview if you're not a Patreon subscriber. I think the fact that she thinks that it's ridiculous that people were not supportive of her infidelity of her affair is just completely lacking in self-awareness and absurd. But I'm not actually comparing it. That was totally a joke. But I just think that it's very special that, you know, he, Camilla was his one true love and he went back. He always wanted Camilla and they've gone the distance together. I think that's lovely. Yeah. I stand Camilla on I mean, this podcast. Yeah, I think I stand Camilla. 
I don't I don't know if I stand Prince Charles at all, but I Charles. I stand Camilla. Charles. Yeah. You know what I think is interesting is I've read some gossip on online that the mm-hmm. royals not it's not even gossip. Like the official statements and sources coming out of Kensington Palace right now are denouncing the crown because it makes the royal family look bad with regard to all things Diana. And I think that's really interesting. Like they're basically saying that it's a false telling of the story, but I actually think it's a completely true telling of the story. A 100% true. The crown writers and biographers are basically nonfiction writers and historians. And the Kensington Palace sources, those are revisionist historians. Totally. They need, they're, they're on, like, the crown's payroll. Yeah, they're apologists, okay? Yeah. So, anyway. But anyways, everyone watch. It's really good. Chan and other news this week. Did you know that Brad Pitt succeeded in a lawsuit against him? I saw that, yes. But I think... Okay. I think other I, other people need to hear about it because it was not very heavily reported on. It was not. So, in 2018, a woman named Kelly Christina who is a CEO Two first names, of, first red flag. Yeah, 100%. Um, she was approached by Brad Pitt, or so she thought. And she, this woman is a CEO of a major healthcare recruiting company. Hmm. And Brad Sus. Pitt approached her for the purposes of raising funds for the Make It Right Foundation. And he persuaded her to throw four or five events for the Make It Right Foundation mm-hmm. and to raise money to organize mm-hmm. and throw the events, and then to also pay him $10,000 per event to appear, okay? So this, okay. like, big-time CEO, she somehow fits it into her schedule to fundraise, to throw events for the Make It Right Foundation, and every time she would throw an event, Brad Pitt would not show up. He would call in sick, basically, and say, oh, I'll what? be there next time. But she still wired him ten grand each time. So it came to the fifth event, and he cancels again. Yeah, this is so crazy. This is such a crazy story. Oh my gosh. And suddenly alarm bells go up in her brain. Also, fun fact, they had been discussing marriage. And <gasps> like he was yes. into her. Yes. Oh, ding, they had ding, also ding. I know what developed is. a personal relationship. Well, of course, it was a scammer pretending to right. be Brad Pitt. Oh, I think it's my gosh. so hilarious that there were these Make It Right Foundation events. Where she around where she lived, oh she had all gosh. her friends there. It's actually really sad, and raised a bunch of money. Wired him forty thousand dollars for his appearances, and then all the money for the Make It Right Foundation that she raised, oh all of which she just wired to a total scammer. So then uh. she sues the real Brad Pitt, saying that he didn't do enough to protect people who are victims of scammers impersonating him. Okay, hmm. this this case was thrown out immediately. Right. Um, and I just want to say, Chandler, that we are clearly in the wrong business because it seems like being a fake Brad Pitt is much more lucrative than podcasting. Oh, it's a thousand times more lucrative. <laughs> like scamming is literally taking off. And yeah, exactly. Here we are begging people to subscribe to our Patreon when literally, we could literally be making 10 grand for canceling on an event. We're like Oliver Twist on the side of the road in, you know, early 20th century London, just with a, like a, a pan for coins on Instagram. Like, a, join our Patreon, Please, $4.99 a month. Please, sir, uh, spare some change. Whereas <laughs> the Brad Pitt scammers, they're just making bank. They're laughing and all you the know, way to the bank. All they're doing is just sending emails flirting with middle-aged women. <sighs> Could do that Truthfully, 
if my new business goes down in flames, at least I have a plan B. Yeah. So I'll let everyone knows how my how everyone know how my celebrity impersonation scamming business goes. Clearly, the pop apologists are morally bankrupt given my Oreo debacle, and yeah. Chandler's BYU lost and found issues. Um, okay, another item of a celebrity hitting the financial skids, Chandler. Uh-huh. Ramona. I hate this, I hate this Ramona story. got a new job as a real estate agent. Ugh. What comes to mind when someone gets a job as a real estate agent, Chandler? I would say you become a real estate agent when you're super hot and you're maybe past your prime, so you got to make cash somehow, some way, so you get your real estate agent license. Literally every actress in LA, the second she turns like late 30s, she becomes a, a real estate agent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't hate on that because guess what? If you've got a lot of rich contacts and you're hot... You can walk around a house and talk about how, oh. like, the crown molding is, you know, six inches or eight inches. Recess lighting. Totally. You can talk about the the marble kitchen counters or whatever. And if you're going to make a $200,000 commission off that, that's a great way to make a living. You don't know how many times I have literally fantasized about being a real estate agent. Like, it's one of my actual favorite fantasies if I'm, like, knee-deep in some really hard work and... I just literally think like, I just wish I had to show like three houses today. And that was my full day. Absolutely. I mean, there was a time in my life where my job was so exhaustive and I really was like in a, in a bad state that a honey boba, which is like a, a boba shop, a chain in Los Angeles was, uh, it was next to my gym and I would pass it every morning. And at one point I saw signs on it that said, uh, we will close down if people do not like need, need, or now hiring like we will have to close if we do not get an assistant manager, like literally desperate for workers. And I had the thought, what if I just became the assistant manager at Honey Boba? I would be so much happier. Like I could have my days and my life back. I still think that's an option for you. I still think it's an option. And so all that is to say, being a real estate agent actually sounds like a tight gig. And I think it's great. Maybe I should become one of my, you know, when all this goes up in flames. If you're a hot celebrity with a lot of contacts, it's actually a great way to make money. I think that if you're if you actually are just starting out in the industry, it's brutal and it takes like years to build up a client base and right. to actually make money. So yeah. it's probably no offense, but it's not going to work out for you becoming a real estate agent. Um, you're not a hot celebrity. I'm a, I'm a people person. You are a I'm hot a people person. person, Lauren. But how many super rich people you know that could immediately convert into clients? I don't know. Like, give me a second. I'm just saying you're not going to have Ramona's success. I mean, like but it, six to seven? It just makes me feel a little less hopeful about Ramona's financial future if she suddenly needs to, like, start holding open houses. She did not get spousal support from Mario, or it's not enough to keep up with her lifestyle. I thought that she made more money than Mario. That's what's confusing to me. I don't understand. Maybe she does just want to walk around houses in the Hamptons and does think this would be fun. Right. I don't know. But it's a little dark. I typically feel like people don't get jobs unless they need money. Or at least I'd like to believe that that's what's going on. You'd like to think so. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to look at it with rose-colored glasses. Um, Speaking of other women in their beloved 60s, I just want to pay tribute, Chandler. Kris Jenner, the one and only. (laughs) The mom who really did it right. Yeah. Because Kris Jenner to me is... She's like Eve. She's the perfect woman. She really? should have been the first woman. We should all have descended from, from the Lawrence of Chris Jenner. Because that is a gorgeous sentiment, Lauren. I really thank love you. that. 
Thank you. Chris Jenner is the perfect mother, okay? And she's the perfect person. She's mm-hmm. what every woman should be. She's so warm. She's so charismatic. She's, so she's 100% there for you all the time. She has a distinctive recipe for every like classic dish, yeah. okay? You were, Nicole's you nachos. Cookbook? Nicole's nachos. Excuse me. She she always she knows the power of Laurie's seals. Laurie's seals. Yeah. Laurie's, Laurie's. Sea salt. <laughs> Can I even say it? No, you don't deserve. Chris Jenner really is that like warm, enveloping figure. Yeah. And if you listen to an interview with her, she's just so articulate and smart and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. She's all the good qualities in a person. Not only that, but when I think of Chris Jenner, it makes me um like get uh it makes me get very angry because I suddenly realized that if our mom had got her SHIT together right. a little bit have, earlier, we wouldn't have to be all over twisting it, panhandling for Patreon subscribers. We'd be selling lip kits by the million in our sleep. units. In our, in we our would literally sleep. wake up to notifications about how much money was deposited into our bank account. We'd be perusing $35 million Hollywood Hills homes mm-hmm. like Kendall Jenner. Yep. Just for fun. Just for fun. Okay, we would be buying real estate like we were in real life Monopoly. But instead, here we are. We're here trying we are. to get our our podcast off the ground. Just trying our, to break at even. At these late ages. <laughs> Just trying to break even on the pod. I mean, really, Chris Jenner, six, turn 65. We love you. We love You're you. You're an icon. You're an icon. We'd give anything. Deborah Bledsoe, I, I mean, I know that she probably just had our best interest at hearts and wanted us to be good, non-vain, nice people. But you know what? It was never in the cards for us. Mm-mm. So we're just going to have to get famous on our own, you know? I guess so. Buckle in, baby. Buckle in, baby. Um, okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's probably... That's about it. It's probably good for the week, right? Yeah. Next week, we'll come at you live from... Well, one of us will come at you live from Puerto Rico. From the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If my COVID test comes back negative in Kagan's, I'll let you know. We'll see. All right. And then you'll, you're you're going to pick me up at 6 a.m. to drive us to the airport tomorrow? Is that still happening? Um, How dare you make me <laughs> commit to this live on the podcast? Um, but yes, I will be waking myself up at promptly 545. Whatever. You are going to drive my car all week while I'm gone. I suppose. Um, you hey. You've left me with no gas. Sorry about that. Listeners, actually, one thing we wanted to announce, we decided that because I'm most likely moving, this is just a little bit of a Patreon announcement. If you become a Patreon subscriber in 2020, you will get the special surprise through the mail. And the idea is basically like, since I'm going to be not on the mainland, this is basically going to be the last chance for a while that I'm going to be able to work on these and send these out. So... If you're currently a subscriber, you're going to get it no matter when you signed up. And then if you sign up within the year of 2020, you're going to get it. Basically, you just have to give me enough time to send them out before. Right. This is also a slight apology for how long it's taken us to get these out the door. Yeah. We'll get our first batch out soon. We'll probably send them out right around Thanksgiving. Yes. And that will be when our first batch goes out. And they'll go out in order of when you signed up. But if you sign up this year... You will get the special surprise for the mail through the mail, and you you want it, baby. You do. And thank you if you wrote a review. We got ten new reviews after last episode when I basically wept over the fact that we didn't have any new ones. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the reviews. We love it. Thank you all. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye.
that's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at Pahapologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday. Do you ever worry about running out of interesting things to say to friends when you actually get to see them? Then we've got the perfect podcast for you. I'm Eve Yohalem, and each week on Book Dreams, my co-host Julie Sternberg and I use books to explore fascinating questions, like what happened when a Harvard professor staked her reputation on an alleged gospel of Jesus's wife that turned out to be fake? And how did debut author Tom Lynn save the American Western by blowing it to bits? Are pigeons rats with wings or wonder birds? And what's the who, what, when, where, how, and especially why of books bound in human skin? Recent and upcoming Book Dreams highlights include conversations with Booker Prize-winning author Marlon James, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Katherine Schultz, and Merlin scholar Dr. Laura Campbell. You can listen to Book Dreams wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists, owners of The Therapy Group, and hosts of The Shrink Chicks Podcast. Every week, we bring you a new episode where we dive into therapeutic topics like inner child work, dating anxiety, family dynamics, relationships, and burnout. Making them more relatable and understandable, leaving the psychobabble behind. We address the things you've been dying to ask your therapist but don't know how. And work to help you stop shooting all over yourself with the expectations society can put on us. Tune in every Monday to Shrink Chicks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow along and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Prepare to learn all about you because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself.